Now, gentlemen. The defendant is not guilty. But somebody in this courtroom is. Unmitigated temerity. Okay, 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 okay. Ooh, hello, and welcome to the OK Gatsby colon to chill, chill a mockingbird. All right, All right. so uh, I'm Kevin Lobkiewicz. <laughs> I'm Terrence Hartnett. We're talking about chapters 11 and 12 today. Uh, two big old, big old lessons. A lot of, a lot of morals. A lot of morality being thrown around. Uh, gems growing up, a lot of stuff's happening. Also, interestingly enough, uh, structurally to the novel, uh, chapter 11 is in book one, uh, part one of To Kill a Mockingbird. Chapter 12 is in part two. So, yeah, I didn't even think about mi- what if there's any sort of uh, reason why this is the last part of part one. I guess it's the last setting of stage of, like, this is what Atticus wants us to think. Uh, this is what life is here, and this is what Atticus wanted to teach us. Because he doesn't, he's not in chapter twelve at all. Like now, they're getting lessons from going outside the world. Right. Okay. In chapter, in chapter twelve, they go out. They go. Yeah. He's, we don't see Atticus at all. And at the end of chapter eleven, we do have like a pretty, a pretty heavy-handed Atticus monologue about the thing about be, being licked before he even began. Yeah. The old um, licked before you began routine. Yeah. How many licks does it take to get to the center of racism? Sounds like it's just one <laughs> controversial <laughs> crime. <laughs> Good, nice job. I set you up for that one, and you really nailed it. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, we start with some more. We talked about this where sometimes they start in the middle of some action, and sometimes they start on some real southern reflection. <laughs> sometimes it's like we were sipping iced tea all summer, something yeah. like that. You know? So then it's like when we were small, Jim and I confined our activities to the southern neighborhood. But when I was well into the second grade at school and tormenting Boo Radley became passe, the business section of Maycomb drew us frequently up the street past the real property of Mrs. Henry Lafayette Du Bois. It was impossible to go to town without passing her unless we wished to walk a mile out of the way. Previous minor encounters with her left me with no desire for more, but Jem said I had to grow up sometime. And like I said before, this this whole novel is so episodic. Like, yeah. Like in today's episode, yeah. In today's episode, we talk about Miss Henry Dubois. <laughs> right, like the thing about like Atticus being old, and then he shows them he's not all washed up. You know, it's like it's like there's the beginning, and then there's the end. Yeah, roll yeah. credits. All all these like subtle, more either moral or like ironic twists of like we start out really hating this Mrs. Dubois, but maybe there's something about her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and by the end of the chapter, you find out what it is, and then it's over. Right. It's kind of really yeah. It's all wrapped up nicely. So we have an old, old, old woman. Uh, for context, she sits in a she's in a wheelchair, and it's rumored that she kept a CSA pistol concealed among her numerous shawls and wraps. A what essay? That's a Confederate States of America. Ah, CSA pistol. I mean, they make their own pistols. Yeah, I guess I guess there was only there's yeah. a style. Yeah, you can't buy one from the Union. No. So she's old, and she's also mean. Old and mean. I feel like that. That type, I guess, most old old mean people now are just left alone. They don't really sit on their porch and really do some Jeff Ross you know style roasting of them. <laughs> <laughs> they mainly just stay inside and watch TV. It's I think TV bad. really changed the the state of old mean old people. <laughs> yeah, now they yell at the TV. They aren't you aren't yelling at kids anymore. The yeah. get off my lawn thing. That's kind of over. You know. Yeah. No, now it's like get off of my Fox News. <laughs> get off my Facebook page. Yeah. 
No, old people <laughs> now are are not as openly mean. And this lady is brutal. Like, yeah, she <laughs> is. <laughs> I can't. I can't even conceive of a character this like that isn't talked to by every adult. Of like, please stop terrifying <laughs> my children. And <laughs> you it's are the age the, of like, yeah. In this age, adults are right and children are wrong. So you could just be a mean, mean old lady, mean. and everyone's like, hey, well, hey, stay out of her way. Then say some foul things yeah. to break the heart of children. <laughs> Um, so they hate this woman, this old mean woman. Dubose. Uh, if she was on the porch when we passed, we would be raked by a wrathful gaze, subjected to ruthless interrogation regarding our behavior, and given a melancholy prediction of what we would amount to when we grew up, which was always nothing. And that's that's narrator, adult narrator, uh, scout, just doing a real quick kind of tongue in cheek, quick assessment of this old lady. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I mean that's all, that too doesn't. I don't. I guess we actually we do have a neighbor that sits on the porch all day and looks at people. But he, we do. He seems kind of nice, or neutral. <laughs> he's he's neutral. Yeah. We have uh, a, yeah. He's, she's surveying the neighborhood and she has an opinion about what goes on. Yes, and she believes these children are bad. Yeah. It seems to be a common theme that the uh, the Finch children are not up to snuff. Well, they're kind of given free reign, you know. They're yes. kind of like, the, and so I think that like, uh, yeah, the neighborhood is concerned. Yeah. He's uh, de- definitely Atticus is not the big old involved sweaty dad who <laughs> is yelling all the time, and I think that that makes him think he's uh, yeah. A, uh, these children are, are villains. He comes down, puts his suitcase down, <laughs> passes judgment on the day's events, <laughs> and then he reads a book and goes to sleep. Yeah, I love I love how it starts out. We could do nothing to please her. If I said as suddenly as I could, "Hey, Mrs. Dubois," I would receive for an answer, "Don't you say hey to me, you ugly girl." <laughs> 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 you say good afternoon, Mrs. Dubois. <laughs> <laughs> well, what the fa- you you can't just call a girl <laughs> ugly. You can't just no. That's God. insane <laughs> to call a child that. Be prettier if you're gonna be so rude. If you're gonna be all friendly, and that's the time when like hey was some like super informal. Yeah. yeah. Hey, it's like, for horses, what are you, what are you coming here. at me with this hey, hey stuff? Hey yourself, you ugly girl. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, oh, oh, how are we not considering it rude to call people ugly? I don't understand. What's the? Where's the line here? Yeah, it's somewhere between hey and you're ugly. <laughs> <laughs> but hey is yeah, way worse. Yeah, the rude in the street seems to only go one way. <laughs> uh, she was vicious. Vicious. Once she heard Jem refer to our father as Atticus, uh, and her reaction was apoplectic. Apoplectic. That's hard to say. Besides being the sassiest, most disrespectful mutts who ever passed her way, we were told that it was quite a pity our father had not remarried after our mother's death. Oh. A lovelier later lady than our mother never lived, she said, and it was heartbreaking the way Atticus Finch let her children run wild. I did not remember our mother, but Jem did, and he would tell me about her sometimes, and he went livid when Mrs. DeBoss shot us this message. Nice. So that's like a really brutal things to say, too. Of like, Of course. Your dead mother is so good, and it's real shame that your dad is really letting you guys go to the crapper. <laughs> yeah, and you know, okay, we're seeing for the second or third time, like, yeah, people in the community have an opinion about how you raise your kids, and they'll tell you that to your face. Like, they'll tell to the kid's face. The kids, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're all screwed up. I don't know why. Your dad is failing <laughs> and raising you. You, you disrespectful mutts. <laughs> You're walking evidence of failed parenting. Your mom was a saint. Her death was a tragedy, and your dad is spitting on her grave. Like, they're, like, they're like, you mean Atticus? And she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I guess, even, yeah, in this time, it's like, yeah, Atticus is a, uh, is, it is strange to call your, your dad by his first name. Yeah, I also, I'm on her side for that. <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't bring up the dead mom thing. Yeah. But. 
and, and Scout is ugly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I can't go that far. Yeah. Uh, so Jam is kind of growing, and they keep going by. Uh, they have to keep walking by. So countless evenings, Atticus would find Jam furious at something Mrs. Wallace said when we went by. Uh, to which Atticus is, is always is uh, is normal self. Easy does it, son. She's an old lady and she's ill. You just hold your head high and be a gentleman. Whatever she says to you, it's your job not to let her make you mad. Wow. Yeah, he's, he, Saint Atticus is the, is this chapter's uh, title, in my opinion. Level-headedness is the highest uh, principle yeah. for Atticus, which is such a lawyer quality of, like, never even reflect on anything. <laughs> yeah. Emotions cannot be expressed. Uh, yeah. Jam, Jams would say she must not be very sick. She hollered so. When the three of us came to her house... Uh, good e- and then so Atticus this is how Atticus talks to her. Good evening, Mrs. Dubois. You look like a picture this evening. And then Scout says, "I never heard Atticus say like a picture of what." <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. That's good. That's good. Yeah, woman Scout, very funny. She's like in, in, in like incisive with those comments. Yeah, so just funny. Quick, understated, sarcastic, cutting lines. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Atticus would tell her court news and would say he hoped with all his heart she'd have a good day tomorrow. He would return his hat to its head, swing me into his shoulders in her very presence, and we would go home in the twilight. It was times like these when I thought my father, who hated guns and had never been to any wars, was the bravest man who ever lived. Yes. So this is like very subtle Atticus defiance of like, I'm going to be, I know what you say about me. I know I'm going to be so kind to you, and then I'm going to do something so informal right in front of your face and walk off with a smile. Okay, right. Yeah, the idea, yeah, swing swinging you to his shoulders. That 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 was going to bother me. In Thomas. her very presence. In her very presence. Yeah, slap in the face. Um, but there's there's a yeah, we're we're beginning with this thing that I kind of want to address in the chapter is that Atticus is being held up as uh like a paragon, like an ethical paragon, which he always has been. Um, but he really it's really laid out pretty thick in this chapter where like Atticus is like a, you know, a martyr and a He's doing all, doing the right thing uh, through and through. A tedious ethicist. <clears throat> like, there's not one little moment where he lets himself be uh, short-sighted or uh, gets consumed by emotions or anything. Right. In the face of this, and this, and this Dubois stuff gets worse and worse, and he keeps being, um, like, yeah, just like incredibly kind and moral and uh, up upright. And I mean, like, it is it is kind of heartwarming to see, um, but it's uh, yeah, we'll 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 talk about it. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. So here's the big incident. Yeah, yeah. Jem basically buys these toys. Yes, he a buys baton. himself a steam engine, and he buys Scout a twirling baton. Which a twirling is, baton. Which is very nice of Jem uh, to buy something for his yeah, little Yeah, I wish I could be selling stuff back then where it's like, I'll just p- put some sparkles in this stick and then <laughs> sell, it to, <laughs> sell it to this dumb girl. Yeah, retail in small towns <laughs> before Walmart came around. Oh, man. Taking uh, these kids' birthday money. <laughs> I, I love she because she wants to be a, a a baton twirler in the high school marching band, and then she's just having developed my talent to where I could throw up a stick and almost catch it coming down. <laughs> <laughs> I could almost do the whole throwing and it, catching just trick. the bare bones. Yeah, yeah, she's just throwing sticks up in the air in the yard. <laughs> I had caused Calperna to deny me entrance to the house every time she saw me with a stick in my hand. I felt that I could overcome this defect with a real baton, and I thought it generous of Jem to buy one for me. Okay, so she's been using wooden sticks, like and yeah, this just is a like baton. sticks she finds in the yard. It's like, well, let's get a real baton. It's a balance issue. It's yeah. about it's about how it feels in your hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Bouse is mean on the way there. 
Where are you two going at this time of day? Playing hooky, I suppose. I'll just call up the principal and tell him. And then Jem uh, fires back with, Oh, it's Saturday, Mrs. Dubois. Makes no difference if it's Saturday, <laughs> she said. I wonder if your father knows where you are. Mrs. Dubois, we've been going to town by ourselves since we were this high. <clears throat> Don't you lie to me. <laughs> Jeremy Finch, Ma- Maudie Atkins had told me you broke down her scupper lo- nong arbor this morning. She's going to tell your father and you'll wish you never saw the light of day. If you weren't sent to the reform school before next week, my name's not Dubois. <laughs> <laughs> and then Scout very uh, deadpan says, Jim, who hadn't been n- near Ms. Maudie's scupper nong arbor since last summer, and who knew Ms. Motti wouldn't tell Atticus if he had issued a general denial. <laughs> Don't you contradict me. And you. <laughs> yeah. It's my, li- it's my yeah. line, sorry. <laughs> and you. What are you doing in those overalls? You should be in a dress and camisole, young lady. You grow up waiting on tables if someone doesn't <laughs> change your ways. A finch waiting on tables at the OK Cafe? Huh. <laughs> I was funny because I was reading this. I was reading this on break at my job where I wait on tables, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, my job, my job is like basically being a prostitute in Mister yeah. Boz's eyes. Yeah, I think this might be kind of a the uh, low dignified. But although the way she did, Scott describes it, the OK Cafe was a dim organization on the north side of the square. So I feel like maybe it is kind of like maybe a Hooters situation where the women who wait on the table are a little bit. I don't know. Or even like Sketchy. who hangs out at cafes. Exactly. Okay, it, right. It's like yeah. guys getting off work and they're, they're dirty and they say swear words to right. each other. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better than getting off a long day of work and saying swear words to your friends. Just go sit down and have a couple of swear words with the boys. Um, I like this next line where Jem says, come on, Scout, don't pay attention to her. Just hold your head high and be a gentleman. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like the gender thing is entirely not addressed with the Scout. Yeah. It's funny. Just kind of a little tomboy. Yeah, and I mean the tomboy stuff keeps coming up about, hey, when are you gonna wear a dress? Yeah, <laughs> Miss Alexandra, Mrs. Alexandra says it too. Yeah, there. And then I like the line in the last chapter where Atticus is like, "You can wear whatever you want. You look fine to me." <laughs> nice, exactly. He doesn't care, exactly. Uh, but then here she starts to uh, really, really hammer home some viciousness. Yeah. So she starts with not only a finch waiting on tables, uh, which hasn't happened yet. She just imagines that Scout is going to be a But one in the courthouse longing for N-words. I'm, I'm Miss Dubois. i got to keep my part. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. What does this world come to when a finch goes against his raisin? I'll tell you. Your father's no better than the N-words and trash he works for. I'm getting pretty good in the... Uh, the Southern yeah. patois. It also says, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank and you. this is... this. Uh, hit, to the center of Jem's heart. Well, yeah. He was scarlet. Just after saying, be a gentleman, he's like, don't let her get to her. Uh, and then, so they, they keep walking up the street and she's still yelling on her. Philippic on her family's moral degeneration, the major premise of which was that half the finches were in the asylum anyway. But if our mother were living, we would not have come to such a state. So she hit the three big things. Yeah. Uh, the family. The, the Atticus is a, a courthouse guy. Yeah. Or is a courthouse for a black guy, uh, a lawyer for a black guy. The mom is dead, and the whole family sucks. <laughs> right, right. Like the yeah, the quality of the family overall, Atticus's quality as a father, and also the fact that their mom dying was like, uh, you know, ruined them. Ruined them. Yeah. So yeah, she uh, she was really spitting some vicious stuff. Uh, yeah, Scout. I took umbrage at Mrs. Dubois' assessment of the family's mental hygiene. Uh, I had 
become almost accustomed to hearing insults aimed at Atticus, but this was the first one coming from an adult. So that's that's like the big. Yeah, they'd hear, at school they hear this stuff, and they've already gone over that part, and and they, from their cousins they heard it, or whoever, the, or like her nephew, I guess that would be, mm. um, or something. Her anyway, her relative, uh, Francis, and this is the first time she heard it from an adult. Scout doesn't care. She's like, oh, Dill's coming soon. Summer's almost here. We're having a nice time. But Jim is like, still furious. He bought a steam engine, and we went by Elmore's from a baton. Jim took no pleasure in his acquisition. He jammed it in his pocket and walked silently by, beside me toward home. So now, like, so yeah, Jim's in, like, on another planet of rage. Yeah, Jim is, like, you can see the red in his eyes. So she's following him. Um, I sometimes wondered exactly what made Jim do it, what made him break the bonds of you just be a gentleman's son in the phase of self-conscious rectitude he had recently entered. Jim had probably stood as much stuff about Atticus longing for N-words as a head eye and took it for granted that he kept his temper. So, and then what he did, <laughs> uh, do as a matter of course, I had I not been under Atticus interdict, which I assumed including not fighting horrible <laughs> ladies, <laughs> he had just come to her gate when Jem snatched my baton and ran flailing wildly up the steps into Mr. Du- Mrs. Dubaz's front yard, forgetting everything Atticus had said, forgetting that she had packed a pistol under her shawls, forgetting that if Mrs. Dubaz was missed, missed her, missed her girl, Jesse probably wouldn't. So he he is cutting up like he's using the baton on all her flowers. Yeah, cut the tops off of every camellia bush Misty Bows owned until the ground was littered with green buds and leaves. He bent my baton against his knee, snapped it in two, and threw it down. Which is like, hey, hey, what's the deal with yeah, that? Don't be mad at me. Hey, the baton <laughs> didn't do anything to you, buddy. The baton didn't do, the baton didn't call your dad anything. Yeah. By that time, I was shrieking. Jim yanked my hair, said he didn't care. He'd do it again if he got a chance, and if I didn't shut up, he'd pull every hair out of my head. I didn't shut up, and he kicked me. I lost my balance and fell on my face. Jim picked me up roughly, but looked like he was sorry. There was nothing to say. I didn't. I I totally forgot about this part that Jim like, because obviously Scout's mad because of the baton. Yeah. And and Jim turns to her, so he's just like Jim's just enraged. Yeah. He's he's blind rage. Doesn't yeah. know. What, he's seeing red. Uh. Yeah. And he's like, stop, because she's screaming like, "You broke my baton." Right. <laughs> this is some puberty stuff. Yeah, Jem's really getting into it. He's becoming a man. He's becoming a man, and part of that is, is uh, doing Destroying your neighbor's flowers. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when you you were becoming a man, and Ooh. you just had to really rage on some neighbor flowers? You know, now I'm mature enough to overcome the urge to destroy my neighbor's flowers, but back then I wasn't. Yes. Uh, so they get home, and they're just waiting at home to get yelled at. Like, they're sitting very tensely. Calpurnia is a little nice. She gives up hot biscuit and butter. Uh, but it tasted like cotton. Yeah. They couldn't By some it. voodoo system, Calpurnia seemed to know all about it. <laughs> <laughs> she had a, she's got a feeling, you know? Yeah. Um, I like this. So I love this part. The uh, the way that Scout kind of reaches out to Jim is, I picked up a football magazine, found a picture of Dixie Howell, showed it to Jim and said, this looks like you. <laughs> that was the nicest thing I could think to say to him, but it was no help. <laughs> you look like football man. Football you look man. like football man. You look like football player. <laughs> You are the same. Big brother, you look strong like football player. <laughs> <laughs> it's so childish and cute. Um, and then the, uh, the the narration is continuing to be like 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 both uh, like a high vocabulary and like funny. Two geological ages later, <laughs> we heard the soles of Atticus's shoes scrape the front steps. Ooh, and then he he yeah he yells, Jim. His voice was like the winter wind. Jim. 
Yeah, that's such a great little line of his voice was like the winter wind, yeah. like cold and like it hurts. Once again, an incisive, perfect uh, anal- analogy. You know, you know, uh, the dad's home and dad's mad voice, dad's home. like the winter wind. You got it. <laughs> They're fro- he carried my baton in one hand. Its filthy yellow tassel trailed on the rug. He held out his other hand. It contained fat camellia buds. They left all the evidence right there. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing to clean up. Yeah. Uh, Jim, are you responsible for this? Yes, sir. Why'd you do it? She said you lawed for N-words and trash. You did this because she said that? Yes, sir. Son, I have no doubt that you've been annoyed by your contemporaries about me lawing for N-words, as you say. But to do something like this to a sick old lady is inexcusable. I strongly advise that you go down and have a talk with Mrs. Dubose. Come straight home afterward. Go on, I said. Uh, come back here. Uh, no, that. So come like, back here. That's me, Atticus. Yeah. So Scout goes after Jim, uh, and then he's, Atticus is like, "No, he's got to go talk to her alone." <laughs> For the life of me, I did not understand how he could sit there in cold blood and read a newspaper when his only son stood an excellent chance of being murdered with a Confederate Army relic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's so, like just so funny, like inhabiting the girl Scout uh, mind with the. I mean, I think we before we we had to d- divide it between like the woman scout narrator and the girl scout narrator. It's really, I mean, I feel like they've entirely been fused at some points. Where it's yeah. like it's the it's the it's the adult woman vocabulary with the child scout mentality. Yeah, so it's, it's like and it's so funny. Too. Yeah, <laughs> just to have here's some like five dollar words used to just say like uh, little kid stuff. <laughs> right, it's like it's like an adult would understand that he's not gonna get murdered, but scout thinks like he's literally he's in danger of being shot by this old woman. How <laughs> he could sit there in cold blood and read a newspaper, <laughs> but it, yeah, so Atticus looks like a crazy person. Yeah, like scout. you're just as bad as she is for letting it happen. Of course, Jim antagonized me sometimes until I could kill him, but when it came down to it, he was all I had. Atticus did not seem to realize this, or if he did, he didn't care. I hated him for that, but when you are in trouble, you become easily tired. (laughs) (laughs) Soon I was hiding in his lap and his arms were around me. You're mighty big to be rocked, he said. You don't care what happens to him. You just send him on to get shot, and when all he was doing was standing up for you. It's not time to worry yet. I never thought Jim would be the one to lose his head over this. I thought I'd have more trouble with you. I said I didn't see why we had to keep our heads anyway, that nobody I knew at school had to keep his head about anything. Scout, when summer comes, you'll have to keep your head up about far worse things. It's not fair for you and Jim. I know that. But sometimes we have to make the best of things, and the way we conduct ourselves when the chips are down, well, all I can say is when you and Jim are grown, maybe you look back on this with some compassion and some feeling that I didn't let you down. This case, Tom Robinson's case, is something that goes to the essence of a man's conscience. Scout, I couldn't go to church and worship God if I didn't try to help that man. Atticus, you must be wrong. How's that? Well, most folks seem to think they're right and you're wrong. They're certainly entitled to their to think that, and they're entitled to the full respect for their opinions. But before I can live with other folks, I've got to live with myself. The one thing that doesn't abide by majority rule is a person's conscience. That's, uh, that's a big line from the book. The one thing that doesn't abide by majority rule is a person's conscience. Right, so Atticus has got... A big old conscience. We've seen this already before. I mean, like he's got he's got a lot of moral opinions, and he sticks to them. Yes, I'd almost uh, say he's Catholic. By the way, he <laughs> is obsessed with his conscience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, but even this too, where it's like they're certainly entitled to think that, and they're entitled to full respect for their opinions. So Atticus even's like everyone is being virulently racist. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, okay, this is, you know what? Yeah, okay, and uh, okay, yes, this is the problem that I have with it, sort of, is like, is like, can how can you both be like, it's fine that they are allowed, that they can say that, mm-hmm. and also, like, believe what he believes, you know what I mean? It's like, if you believe, if you believe that, you know, racism is bad, you know, like, how can you be like, but they're allowed to think racist stuff if they want to. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the kind of, like, like, general fairness liberalism that, like, kind of caused problems today of, like, we're not like Atticus doesn't have it himself to say like they are wrong like and I'll show you why they're wrong and I'll show you why they're why their thinking is so harmful yeah you need to change I respect their thinking I think this way and I need to hold my conscience like he's he's a big part of that like that Santa West Wing like we good sir I will (laughs) I will not stand here and dishonor you in your thoughts the conservative party has certainly a long history of (laughs) yeah right like there's a lot of like conservatives all that stuff yeah, um, it it is it's almost to a fault of fairness bias of I would say it is a fault of his fairness bias of like there's nothing in him to say like at no point does he say racism is bad to his children. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It's like hey, I believe things are right. They believe other things are right. We have different opinions about what's right. It's like wait, well if there's a right and a wrong, legitimately there's a right and a wrong, and you believe this one thing and they believe the opposite. Don't you think that they're wrong? Yes. At no point does he get like hey, like even the just the general like. People of color, they're the same, or like they deserve respect in the law. Like, there's no point is like, <laughs> is that ever brought up? It's I believe just that. that like, I mean, I believe he'll say something like, like that later, I guess. But like, yeah, all he's saying, yeah, he doesn't really like get into moral absolutes. It no. seems like, or and even just like a s- sort of like someone is wrong. He would never go as far to say someone is wrong, which is like, yeah, some people are wrong. <laughs> yeah, of course, the lady who's yeah, the lady. And, and I guess he is like. Like a, a Methodist or whatever, where it's like, yeah, I mean, he loves everyone. And like, yeah. When he's like, are you an N word lover? He's like, yeah, of course, I love everybody. I love everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, we'll, let's, we'll, we'll be checking this. Uh, this will be, this is this chapter. This is, it's got this all over it. So, let's keep going. Um, so, yeah, Jim is going to read to Miss DuBose um, every afternoon after school and Saturdays to read to her out loud for two hours. Um, Atticus, do I have to? Certainly. But she wants me to do it for a month. Then you'll do it for a month. So, yep. Here's a classic unusual punishment. And yeah. you'll actually learn a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> the karate kid of helping a morphine addict come down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, spoiler alert. She's on morphine and she's trying to calm down. Um, so, she start, he, this, he starts reading to her. Um, <laughs> Scout goes. And Atticus is even like, you know, you don't have to go. <laughs> I know. That's so sweet. Scout just goes. I mean, I guess. I guess. Like, what like, else is she going to do? This is her best friend. <laughs> yeah. She, yeah. Yeah. She goes. And also, that helps that she's a narrator and she's there, I think. But, yeah. like, uh, it's really sweet of Scout, Scout to go. Um, yeah. I love the opening line. So, you brought that dirty little sister of yours, did you? <laughs> My sister ain't dirty and I ain't scared of you. <laughs> Although so I noticed his knees were shaking. shaking. <laughs> That's pretty cool that he talks right back, though. I mean, like, yeah. on the first day of his apology tour for a month. Yeah. My sister ain't dirty, and I ain't scared of you. <laughs> Scout is definitely dirty, too. I mean, yes. Scout is, <laughs> like, she's catching frogs all morning. She's not yeah. washing up. Just know? wearing overalls, rolling around in the dirt. Yeah. I mean, she's dirty. Uh, you may commence reading, Jeremy. Uh, he reads He reads Ivanhoe. Do you know anything about Ivanhoe? We no, should look that I up. don't actually know anything. It's a big old thick book, I guess. Yeah. Ivanhoe. Uh, let me see. They go up real close to her. She's a gross old lady. Yeah. Oh, her face was the color of a dirty pillowcase. Uh, great line, but disgusting. And the corners of her mouth glistened with wet, which inched like a glacier down the deep grooves enclosing her chin. 
Old age liver spots dotted her cheeks, and her pale eyes had black pinpoint pupils. Her hands were knobby, and the cuticles were grown up over her fingernails. Her bottom plate was not in, and her upper lip protruded. From time to time, she would draw her nether lip to her upper plate and carry her chin with it. This made the wet move faster. Ugh. Yeah, she's disgusting. Um, she, yeah, so she um, will kind of nod off during the reading. She'll, you know, stop correcting them and nod off. Um, she opened her mouth wide. You see her tongue undulate faintly. Yeah, all this disgusting stuff. Um, and then she has a seizure. Um, yeah. Uh, and then they're like, hey, are you all right? They have no idea what's going on. And then as soon as she has a seizure, kind of, the alarm clock goes off. So we yeah. kind of see this sort of pattern of, like, you know, like, sort of not off seizure alarm clock. Yeah. Uh, and then the nurse runs in and it's like, hey, get out of here. She's having her seizure. You're done for the day. It's time for her medicine, which turns out that turns out to be the uh, the morphine. I guess. Yes, Jim and Jim and Scout are unaware that this is a person trying to cut uh, quit morphine. So she's like, yeah, she's stretching out the time that she takes morphine before she goes later through and withdrawal. Later. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So the what the uh yeah the nurse is just running in and giving her morphine when she starts having a seizure. Yeah. But they're trying to push it each day, <laughs> which is like, I mean that that is I mean we we talked about it before but like. Atticus calls her the bravest person she knew, and like, I mean, she's horrible, but that is hard to do. <laughs> get off morphine. Get yeah. off morphine, but also to do it that way, where you let yourself have a seizure every day. Just yeah, you're right. Cold turkey. Yeah, it's that same bravery that helps her be so racist, <laughs> <laughs> so mean and racist. <laughs> yeah, most people don't have the don't have the don't have the guts to just say racist stuff out loud. But it's also, I mean, <clears throat> not that the that we really think too much about that other book but like Atticus in the other book is uh, says some racist stuff in it so it's like uh in the other book yeah and go set a watchman oh gotcha he's a little bit more have you read uh, that no but uh, like that was a big kerfuffle is that Atticus is racist in this book (laughs) and then there was a big debate of like Atticus was racist in this book (laughs) interesting because it seems like he's not uh I don't know yeah he's just he's kind of like that that neutral where it's like uh I just I I have my own private thoughts but I think everyone has fairness entitled yeah um so one night scout uh asks Atticus Atticus what exactly is an n-word lover Atticus's face was grave has somebody been calling you that no sir Mrs. Dubois calls you that she warms up every afternoon <laughs> calling you that <laughs> Francis called me that last Christmas that's why that's what I where I first heard it so I can't believe this is the first time Atticus is hearing about this act uh, what he actually called her yeah, father. Is that, the uh, you on him? is that the reason you jumped on him? Yes, sir. Then why are you asking what me what it means? <laughs> so he's um, saying like, why did you beat that guy up for a word you don't even know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, the, like, and 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 Scott says it's like the tone. Yeah, it was it was like he said snot nose or something. Scout, N word lover is just one of those terms that doesn't that don't mean anything. Like snot nose, it's hard to explain. Ignorant, trashy people use it when they think about and they think that somebody's favoring Negroes over themselves. It slipped into usage with some people like ourselves when they want a common, ugly term to label somebody. And then here it is. You aren't really an N-word lover then, are you? I certainly am. I do my best to love everybody. I'm hard put sometimes. Baby, it's never an insult to be called what somebody thinks is a bad name. It just shows you how poor that person is. It doesn't hurt you. So don't let Mrs. Dubois get you down. She has enough troubles of her own. So, Um, yes, another Atticus being like radical empathy. Yeah. It's like crazy empathy. Yeah. Yes. 
it's yeah. more about them than it is about you. All this stuff is true. Uh, yeah, but my thing is like I I don't know I I, I want to see the mask slip. That's like, yeah. that's kind of what I'm. Let Mister Rogers. That's ass. my critique. <laughs> that's my critique. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's almost too fair to like. Like how as a father like are you gonna let like letting having your children hear vicious things about you like and sending them to the person who says that stuff? <laughs> it's like. That's almost inhuman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know how she's doing it. Um, so let's see. Um, okay, and then one, one afternoon, a month later, Jim was plowing his way through Wil- Sir Walter Scout, uh, as Jim called him, and and it's a Sir Walter Scott <laughs> reference. And Miss Dubois was coming, was correcting him at every turn when there was a knock on the door. Come in, she screamed. So Atticus is here. Uh, he's wondering where his kids are because <laughs> it's like five thirty. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it re- Scott realizes that the, the alarm's been going, you know, later and later every day. And this is what we talked about a little before. Like, for the life of me, I could not figure out how she could bring herself to speak to him when she seemed to hate himself. Yeah. So, like, the two-facedness of, like, the adults and, like, the adults would never say, or maybe they don't say to Atticus' face any of this, uh, any of the N-word lover stuff that they Well, yell- it seems like they, well, it's like she's not afraid of him knowing that she thinks that, but she's being polite to his face. So it's like, is politeness the highest value no matter what? I mean, they are Southern, right? That's yeah. kind of the thing. Yeah, but it's like, oh, I hate you, but uh, you could be in my house. Yeah. Uh, and then she says stuff where, like, what's great is when there's conversations between Atticus and an adult, when it's clear, like, what they're talking about, but the children have no idea. Where she goes, uh, do you know what time it is, Atticus? Exactly 14 minutes past five. The alarm, cl- the alarm clock set for th- 5.30. I want you to know that. So she's just been like, look how well I'm doing at quitting this morphine. Right, she's getting later and later every day. Yeah, and it suddenly came to me that each day we had been staying a little longer at Mrs. Dubois, that the alarm clock went off a few minutes later every day, and that she was well into one of her fits by the time it sounded. Uh, today she had antagonized Jim for nearly two hours with no intention of having a fit, and I felt hopelessly trapped. <laughs> she <laughs> didn't. Yeah, she didn't have a fit, yeah. Uh, I have a feeling that Jem's reading days are numbered. Uh, and then she says, only a week longer, I think, just to make sure. So she's saying, like, I'm a week away from, like, quitting morphine. Kicking it all together. Yeah. So she had a seizure every day for a month and came out the other end clean. And, like, that, that, is, uh, that takes a lot of guts. <laughs> no matter how vile you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, the, yeah, now the pattern changes where there's no more alarm clock. And she's just saying, Let, that'll do. So yeah. late in the afternoon, Atticus would be home reading the paper when... Uh, we returned. So she's not having fits anymore. Uh, she was every other way wh- wh- her old self. Um, she b- become bored and pick on us. Jeremy Finch, I told you you'd live to regret tearing up my camellias. You regret it now, don't you? Jim Jim would say he certainly did. Thought you could kill my snow in the mountain, did you? Well, Jesse says the top's growing back out. Next time you'll, you'll know how to do it right, <laughs> won't you? You'll pull up by the roots, won't you? Jim would say he certainly would. <laughs> Don't you matter, mutter at me, boy. You hold up your head and say, yes, ma'am. Don't <laughs> guess you feel like holding up, though, with your father what he is. Still, with the <laughs> racism. Yes. Uh, what's great about that that whole paragraph is, don't you mutter at me, boy. Like, Speak loudly when you say you're going to rip up my plants just, right. <laughs> just say it. Yeah, just say it. So yeah, vile. So, yeah, such a funny, like almost like drill sergeant old lady. <laughs> and at the last day came, Mrs. DuBuzz says, that'll do. And that's all. Good day to you. And that's it. It was over. We bounded that down the sidewalk on a spree of sheer relief, leaping and howling. It's crazy how like that's that, that simple. Yes. 
that was it. She was like, all right, I, I've given up morphine, and uh, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> so uh, the spring happens. Here's the uh, – so every night Atticus would read us the sports pages of the newspapers. Alabama might go to the Rose Bowl again this year, judging from its prospects, not one of whose names we could pronounce. And I looked up the names. I it was I roughly guessed this was 1936. And the 1936 team, we've got Young Boozer – the halfback. Young Boozer. Lewis Bostick, the guard. Vic Bradford, Herman Caldwell, Joe Kilgrow, Ben McLeod, Leroy Monsky, Lamar Moyle, James Nisbet, William Peters, James Radford, Joe Riley, Hayward Sanford, Joe Shepard, Jim Tipton, Hillman Walker, Arthur Tarzan White, and Bill Young. <laughs> <laughs> only one nickname? Tarzan? Yeah, only hilarious. Tarzan. I love Boozer Young. <laughs> Boozer Young. <laughs> yeah, Those a bunch of old-timey names. football names. <laughs> So dump truck McGee, <laughs> the fullback for Alabama. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then one day Atticus gets up. He's going, I'm going down to Mrs. Dubois for a while. I won't be long. Uh, but Atticus stayed away till long past my bedtime. When he returned, he was carrying a candy box. Atticus sat down in the living room, put the box on the floor beside his chair. Uh, what she want? Asked Jim. We had not seen Mrs. Dubois for over a month. She was never on the porch anymore when we pass. She's dead, son. She died a few minutes ago. Oh, well, said Jim. Well's right. She's not suffering anymore. She was sick for a long time, son. Didn't you know what her fits were? Jim shook his head. Mrs. Dubois was a morphine addict. <gasps> she took it as a painkiller for years. The doctor put her on it. She'd have spent the rest of her life on it and died without so much agony, but she was too contrary. Sir? Just before your escapade, she called me to make her will. Dr. Reynolds told her that she only had a few months left. Her business affairs were in perfect order, but she said, there's still one thing out of order. What was that? She said she was going to leave this world beholden to nothing and nobody, Jim. When you're sick as she was, it's all right to take anything to make it easier. But it wasn't all right for her. She said she meant to break herself of it before she died, and that's what she did. You mean that's what her fits were? Yes, that's what they were. Most of the time you were reading to her, I doubt if she heard a word you said. Her whole mind and body were concentrated on that alarm clock. If you hadn't fallen into her hands, I'd have made you go read to her anyway. It may have been some distraction. There was another reason. Did she die free? As the mountain air. She was conscious to the last, almost. Conscious. And cantankerous. She still disapproved heartily of my doings and said I'd probably spend the rest of my life bailing you out of jail. She had Jesse fix you this box. And she hands him a box. She, he hands her him. He hands him a box with a big... Perfect camellia. It was a snow on the mountain. <laughs> Jem <laughs> is died. like from the grave being tortured by this woman. <laughs> oh, hell devil, old hell devil. <laughs> Why can't you leave me alone? In a flash, Atticus was up and standing over him. Jem buried his face in Atticus's shirt front. Shh. I think that was her way of telling you everything's all right now. Jem, everything's all right. You know, she was a great lady. A lady? After all those things she said about you, a lady? She was. She had her own views about things, a lot different from mine, maybe, son. I told you that if you hadn't lost your head, I'd have made you go read to her. I wanted you to see something about her. I wanted you to see what real courage is, instead of getting the idea that courage is a man with a gun in his hand. It's when you know you're licked before you begin, but you begin anyway, and you see it through no matter what. You rarely win, but sometimes you do. Mrs. Dubois won, all 98 pounds of her. According to her views, she died beholding to nothing and nobody. She was the bravest person I ever knew. The Oscar speech. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> credits roll. Uh, 
So yeah, so she was beholden to nothing and nobody except for her own racism, right? And so it's like, this is like, so this is I guess this is my issue is like uh, the opportunity to like, I mean, you don't need to make her your enemy. You don't need to hate her. I mean, you yes. can still love her and be like, well, she had wrong opinions. I mean, like she, but she was the bravest person I ever knew. Isn't she a little cowardly and ignorant and scared of people? Like, and, and yeah, isn't of it the very cultural? cruel to be mean to a child? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very strange. It's definitely like just trying to hammer home this uh, like lick, lick before you even start. Yeah, theme. Right. But yeah, it definitely is a weird assessment by Atticus of like this very cruel woman who is cruel to the end. <laughs> like she told me I would be bailing out my children every <laughs> six months <laughs> after she. So she, yeah, she's off heroin. It was no longer she was mad. She wasn't mad about the morphine thing. She wasn't like in in withdrawals and being cranky about withdrawals. She has no excuse. She's totally in a clear mind telling me that I'm going to be bailing you out of jail because I'm a bad parent. I think she's the bravest woman ever. Like, just, yes. okay, yes, I get it. Like, he's turning the other cheek and he's loving her, his enemy, right? Yes. And, yes. And, the, and it is impressive. She basically, it would, like, did train spotting every day for a month. Right. Uh, and that's insane. Uh, so I, but he does not qualify. He doesn't go like, but what she did to quit morphine was the bravest thing I ever saw anyone do. It's she was the bravest person i ever knew yeah she yeah yeah she's the bravest person i ever knew right so it was brave she's brave yes and i think that's where it's like she had her own views about things which is like almost too forgiving of like because he calls it the usual disease but it's like almost like i think it's like sort of how his brain has to work of like everyone around me is racist so i can't hate my neighbors for this huge ugly flaw yeah you know what yes yeah that's what we're dealing with. Is like, but it's almost like too forgiving. Like he has to let. Like I guess we're just also 2019 values on a. Of course, yes, but I mean, like we can critique. I mean, Atticus yeah. is being presented as this like, you know, moral paragon. Like yes, but at no point is he like questioning himself and like and like the way that you know like he's enabling all these racists yeah. by like. By like you know giving treating them, them with respect, giving them the time of day to say what they want, or or not just not challenging them to yeah. their faces. I mean, like just taking it on. Yes. Like uh, turning their other cheek and like not. I don't know. I mean, like. So yes. There's that. There's that ethical stuff. And then also from a character development thing, I just don't like. I don't. It's hard for me to uh, get behind a character who is just a walking ethics textbook book like this. Yes, uh, just like a fairness. Whereas with uh, Atticus, it's like he's he's not racist, but he is not anti-racist. He does nothing yeah, just to, yeah. to reduce racism in the town. He just is like I don't I don't think that black people are worse, so I'm gonna live my life that way. But he does nothing to like. But you get you all can do whatever you want. Yes, I'll let you do whatever you guys want. And honestly, you are the bravest people I ever knew. <laughs> yeah, right. I love the South. Um, so and also like okay, and also from a from a character development standpoint, I want to see Atticus's. I just I just want to see him like sigh a little bit and go. It is hard to be this forgiving. Like yes, that's all. He's making it look too easy. At least at least give me something like that where it's like. I want to see him slip. I want to see him stumble and and write himself. I want to yeah. see him be like, be like, shut up, you old jerk. Where's uh, where's the the glass broken on the floor? Something. Yes. Um, and I want to see a look. We did talk about where it's like this is coming from Scout's eyes, so he's getting a natural polish of a right. child writing about her father. Um, but yeah, I mean, and maybe we don't see it. Maybe it's in his bedroom where he very privately 
has a diary where he says horrible things about everyone. Well, <laughs> of course, right, of course, yes, and the, and also, yeah, my critique is that none of them have gone to the bathroom this whole book. Yes, we're not seeing it, but they're not going. They're not going to the bathroom. I mean, but like, so I know just because it's not. I mean, we have to work off the text, though. I know, like, yeah, sure. Yeah. In theory, Atticus goes to his. Yeah, that's the thing. That's the, the, the kind of stuff that I like, like to see. It would humanize Atticus. Yes, a bit. absolutely. The, it is the problem of Atticus is by design a boring person who doesn't want to fight he's too old to get anything spicy going yeah give me some texture i mean like i was saying it's like uh like dumbledore in the first couple books of harry potter is like just like he comes in he moralizes and he leaves he's like this is right this is wrong this is you know like all that Mm. stuff and later you get to know him as a more of a human being in the later books and it's uh it's nice it's refreshing yes i like a little bit of that uh from harper lee we'll see if we get it yeah, I mean the big old court case is coming up. We might see some seams. Yeah, just something. I just want to see a seam. Yes. Anyway, that's that's the end of book one. We went a little over time on that chapter, so we'll move real quick. We'll move quick through this chapter, uh, w- you know, because your time is valuable. So now we got a very funny uh, assessment of male puberty from a little sister's <laughs> perspective. Jim was 12. He was difficult to live with, inconsistent, moody. His appetite was appalling, and he told me so many times to stop pestering in my consulted Atticus. Reckon he's got a tapeworm? <laughs> Atticus said no. Jim was growing. I must be patient with him and disturb him as little as possible. <laughs> Atticus is just like, stay out of the way, please. <laughs> just, yeah, just don't get in the way. This change in Jim had come about in a matter of weeks. Mrs. Dubois was not cold in her grave. Jim had seemed grateful enough for my company when he went to read to her. Overnight, it seemed, Jim had acquired an alien set of values and was trying to impose them on me. Several times, he went it so far as to tell me what to do. Wow, the worst <laughs> thing in the oh, world. Oh, <laughs> man. We all hate that. After one altercation, when Jim hollered, it's time you started being a girl and acting right, I burst into tears and fled to Calpurnius. He's changing. Obviously, he's changing into sort of a little man. Yes. Oh, and this is what Calpurnius says. Don't you fret too much over Mr. Jim. Mr. Jim, Scout says. Yeah, he's just about Mr. Jim now. He ain't that old. All he needs is somebody to beat him up, and I ain't big enough. (laughs) That's a a lot of her problem solving (laughs) is, like, she beat up Dill for not loving (laughs) her, right? And, (laughs) yeah. Uh, baby said, "Calpurnia, I just can't help if it if it if it if Mister Jim's growing up, he's gonna want to be off to himself a lot now, doing whatever boys do. You think that's uh, a masturbation reference?" <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yes, I mean in part. I mean, yeah. he, he wants he's to just be like, alone. Just leave him alone. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like you know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, your brother's gonna start jerking off. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he wants to be alone for all kinds of reasons. That's definitely one of them. So you just come right on in the kitchen when you feel lonesome. We'll find lots of things to do in here. Uh, and this is like a nice little moment of Calpurnia and 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 Jim are are uh, scout are getting along when they used to be enemies. Yeah, I began to think she was. He's in the kitchen a lot, and I I began to think there was some skill involved in being a girl. <laughs> <laughs> so we're seeing Scout sort of uh, question her tomboyish ways uh, with the help of Calpurnia. Yes. And this is like a. There's there's some very sweet. Uh, one a little tragedy. Dill's not going to be there for the summer. Yeah. It looks sounds like her mom married a new guy, and uh, he's very happy to yeah. have a stepfather. Her, yeah. Uh, Dill's new father had a pleasant face, which made me glad Dill had captured him. <laughs> <laughs> but I was crushed. <laughs> so we're not no Dill this summer. Uh, Dill concluded by saying he would love me forever and not to worry. He would come get me and marry me as soon as he got enough money together. So please write. So this is not a this is not a broken engagement. They're still very much uh, going to be wed, which is and good. Th- this is a very sweet 
like like portrait of young lover, like this paragraph. The fact that I had a permanent fiance was a little compensation for his absence. I never thought about it, but summer was dill by the fish pool making smoking string, dill's eyes alive with complicated plans to make Boo Radley emerge. Summer was the swiftness with which dill would reach up and kiss me when Jem was not looking. The longings we sometimes felt each other feel. With him, life was routine. Without him, life was unbearable. I stayed miserable for two days. Wow, two days, which yes. for a kid is forever. Yes. Very, very sweet. Just the line, with him, life was routine. Without him, life was unbearable. Yeah. So this is interesting. Um, the state legislature uh, is in an emergency session and Atticus has to go to the Capitol. Uh, yes. So we are in the middle of the Great Depression. Uh, and things are not going well, especially in these rural counties. But also, I think it's a convenient like plot thing of like, let's get Atticus out of here. Yeah. But it is really funny. Of I love the uh, the cartoon of Atticus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Describe the cartoon. So um, uh, see, uh, above the caption, Maycomb's Finch, it showed Atticus barefooted and in short pants, chained to a desk. He was digi- diligently writing on a slate while some frivolous-looking girls yelled "Yoo-hoo!" at him. <laughs> Yoo-hoo. So, Terrence, you're a handsome man. Has a woman ever yelled <laughs> "Yoo-hoo!" at you? Yeah, every every single day. I'll get texts that'll say <laughs> it's, <laughs> different, it's different now. You get, you get a text, yeah, "Yoo-hoo!" But I'm chained to my desk with my short pants on. Yeah. So it sounds so it sounds like it's described as Atticus is is drawn as a hick. And thank you for calling me handsome. Yes. Uh, we we put up a picture on Instagram. <laughs> you could you could see on our Instagram how how handsome we are. You decided which one I am. Who yes. knows? Uh. But yeah, so it's he's dressed in short pants and barefoot. So it's like, oh, this is a hick. Even in Alabama, Montgomery's like, look at these. Small I know. <laughs> I know. Montgomery, Alabama. Montgomery, Alabama, elitist. Um, and then it's it's just like uh, frivolous women. I guess it would be like um, I'm trying to. I had the word They're in my head. Pretty women, yeah, or what? Just like. Um, yeah, I guess pretty yeah, well. They like teasy. They're trying to get him away from the thing, but he's yeah, he's and then yelling you who, you who. Anyway, yeah. So basically, uh, Atticus is gone. So Calpurnia says, you know, what are you gonna do for church this weekend? Right. That's basically the yeah. So that's the big problem. Yeah. First, there's a nice little line about. In addition to Jim's newly developed characteristics, he had acquired a maddening air of wisdom. <laughs> oh yeah, oh scout. Such a like... fun little line about older brothers that starting to really think they know best. <laughs> oh yeah, man. Uh, he's reading the paper now. Like, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Go on, leave me alone. I'm reading, the, I'm reading the paper. Go on, leave me alone. I'm reading the paper. So he's like just playing. He's playing Atticus. You know, Atticus is gone. He's playing Atticus. So Calpurnia has a problem of like they have to go to church. She's looking after him for two weeks because uh, Atticus is gone. Um, she can't really go home. Um, she has she has grown like it's later like her children are grown and even have children of their own. Yeah, she's she's old as hell. Turns out. Yeah, yeah we, it's so funny they don't they didn't even know. Okay, so yeah, so Calpurnia's afraid of letting him go to church alone because the last time she did that, uh, there's a little fun anecdote about what happened there. They, uh, the class tied Eunice Ann Simpson <laughs> to a chair and placed her in the furnace room. We forgot her, trooped upstairs to church, and were listening quietly to the sermon when a dreadful banging issued from the radiator pipes <laughs> persisted until someone investigated and brought forth Eunice Ann saying she didn't want to play Shadrach anymore. Uh, Shadrach, she, I looked up, is like they, it's like somebody who was condemned to, uh, you know, uh, uh, the fires of hell for uh, not believing in something. And Jem had told her she wouldn't get burned if she had enough faith. Yeah. <laughs> so I put her in the furnace room and just let her sweat it out for but 30 it was minutes. hot down there. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, Calpurnia invites them 
to her church tomorrow. Really? How about it? So Cal is really excited about it for some yes. reason. He's grinning. Uh, I think, well, like, it's also because, like, Atticus is a hero to our community right now. Ah, okay, right. This is the, okay, right. There's the motivation for Calpurnia. Uh, like, yeah, like, she she's not sure, like, if they'll behave and she's got to make sure of that. But it's also, like, this is the lawyer that that's, like, the hero lawyer to my community. And I'm the one who watches the children of the hero lawyer. Yeah. So, like, it's a big old display. And, like, she, I mean, she she gives Jim a bath even. This 12-year-old boy <laughs> is, like, viciously scrubbed down. Yeah, he doesn't want to be... <laughs> Yeah, that that really matter. That really bothers Jim. Yeah, can anybody take a bath in this house without the whole family looking? <laughs> so yeah, there's no privacy. She's like all out. She gets them all gussied up. Uh, uh, Jim's wearing the wrong tie because it's green. His suit's blue, and Jim's colorblind. It's another funny thing. Jim's yeah. embarrassed by that. There's a lot of big words in chapter two. Where that morning it was covered with our Sunday habiliments, which is like our fancy word for clothing. Like the adult scout is really all out here with like as many five dollar words as she can. Yeah, wow. And she put so much starch in my dress it came up like a tent when I sat down. Right, just great descriptions of all that stuff going on. Like Calperny went all out of like you are going to be impressive to my neighbors. Yeah, she's yeah. You so the idea is that she's concerned about how they're going to come off to the community that she actually cares about. This is the community that she belongs to. And this is a kind of a, a very like telling anecdote about the church. Uh, Let's see. First purchased African ME church was in the quarters outside the southern town limits, across the old sawmill tract. It was an ancient paint peeled frame building, the only church in Maycomb with a steeple and a bell, called First Purchase because it was paid for from the first earnings of freed slaves. Which that's is like, awesome. oh, that's yeah. really cool. And then the next line is very perfect, like Alabama stuff where Negroes worshipped in it on Sundays and white men gambled in it on weekdays. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. Is that a thing? I've never heard of that. Before. Well, like ga- like gambling is like a sin, especially in the thirties. Well, I know, yeah, but like, is that a thing that people would do in churches? Like, I guess it's like a place to go. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like it's also just like the white men don't respect the sacred space. Right, right. They just yeah. But like, uh, yeah, they must be letting them in there. I mean, like, yeah. Make I mean, it, I'm sure there's like there's money. money needed and stuff like that. Right. But it is like the like like even religion. How it, the inequality of it is like. They have a space to worship God, but it has to be allowed for white men to gamble in there. Right. They have to, yeah. They have to co-opt it. Yeah. It's like instead of AA meetings or like uh, rehearsals for yeah. community theater, there's <laughs> there's guys just, just playing craps. Rolling dice, yeah. There's kind of a nice thing about the the graveyard is like there's like broken glass all over and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, so it's like a makeshift a makeshift cemetery because they can't they're not affording these like you know beautiful and stones. And it's built on this hard brick clay that's like they have to wait for it rain to like really get anything yeah, in there. Yeah. It was a ha- but like the lessons it was a happy cemetery. So like it's portrayed as, you know, these people are dirt poor but they are happy. Yeah. So yeah, they they walk up to this uh, black church. Uh and everyone's like and then Calpurnia gets a challenge. Immediately challenged. Even before, I mean, like they're people, not even pe- in the building. Yet. People are kind of nice. There's like there's like there's like a genuine like people are kind of nice, kind of like nodding and high and yeah. But immediately challenged. What are you up to, Miss Cal? Oh no, yeah. What are you up to, Miss Cal? Is a voice behind us? Uh, and now Cal, like it's now it's we're in a whole different world, and Calpurnia has to take these visitors through it. Uh, yeah, which is like the, that's segregation. It's like She's there's two whole worlds, and like right, yeah. Calpurnia's hands went out to her shoulders, and we stopped and looked around. Standing in the path behind us was a tall Negro woman. Her weight was on one leg. She rested her left elbow in the curve of her hip, pointed at us with an upturned palm. So that's like that's a, a power sarcasm stance. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, that's that's someone about to say something real mean. Uh, who are these people? 
uh, and this is the big the this whole section is like about code switching. Uh, I felt California's hand digging into my shoulder. What you want, Lula? She asked in tones I had never heard her use. I wants to know why you bring in white chillin' to N-word church. They's my companies. Again, I thought her voice trained. She was talking like the rest of them. Yeah, and I reckon you's company at the Finch House during the week. A murmur ran through the crowd. Don't you fret, Calpurnia whispered to me, but the roses on her hat trembled indignantly. Uh, Stop right there, N-word. Lula stopped, but she said... Uh, so Lula says, you ain't got no business bringing white chillin' here. They got their church, we got our, and it is our, it is our church, ain't it, Miss Cal? It's the same God, ain't it? Uh, and Jem's like, let's go home, Cal, they don't want us here. Uh, and even Scout's nervous, and this is a pretty dramatic confrontation. Uh, but people are drawing closer to us, And but when I looked up at Calpurnia, there was amusement in her eyes. When I looked down the pathway, Lula was gone. So this their church got rid of Lula. They're like, get out of here. Yeah, it's kind of just... Just over. You're being very mean. Uh, one of them stepped from the crowd. It was Zebo, the garbage collector. And it turns out that Zebo is uh, Calpurnia's son. So, yeah, I don't understand. Yeah, Zebo later is just like references Calpurnia's son. Uh, but at first, introduced it's the as Zebo, the garbage collector. <laughs> I mean, like. I guess they just have no sense of her outside life. Like, ex- literally okay, right. zero. That That's kind of what's revealed, I guess, is that, yeah, they don't get. Yeah, yeah her family or nothing. Right. Um, yeah, Zebo, the garbage collector. We're mighty glad to have all you here. So everyone, yeah, everyone's very happy because they're uh, the Finches. The Finch, yeah, they're like the Finch. Uh, yeah, their father is a hero to this community. Right. Um, he is. He is intending on fully representing Tom Robinson in court. Uh, and then they go. They go having a, a day in in Black Church. Uh, they experience lining, which is where they don't have any hymn books, and that's very confusing to uh, Scout. But then they uh, they just repeat the line that the Zebo says. Right, and like it, this astounds Jem and, and Scout. They're like they're amazed at the singing. Um, yes. Um, yeah. So they do all the singing, and then Reverend Sykes. Uh, what I love about Reverend Sykes is that he calls out very individual people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for good and bad. Yeah, he like calls out people. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, Reverend Sykes uses pulpit more freely to express his views on individual lapses from grace. Jim Hardy had been absent from church for five Sundays, and he wasn't sick. Constance Jackson had better watch her ways. She was in grave danger for quarreling with her neighbors. She had erected the only spite fence in the history of the quarters. <laughs> Reverend Sykes closed his sermon. He stood beside the table in front of the pulpit and requested this morning offering a proceeding that was strange to Jim and me. Uh, actually, where's the part where he talks about, oh yeah. The impurity of women? The impurity of women doctrine that seemed to preoccupy all clergymen. Yeah, so there's so. like a subtle feminist dig about. <laughs> they, like, the, there's something, there's like, the, the similarities and differences are discussed, right? So like, yeah. they both talk about like, uh, they both reference, I mean, their church and this church, this new church and the black church, like they, uh, they both talk about like things that they, that they need. Um, but like, uh, Reverend Sykes directed the deity's attention to several specific cases. So he like talked <laughs> about people's sins in particular. That's so um, true. Like, can you imagine being in church and then the priest gives his homily and he goes, and here's who really needed that. <laughs> like, whoa, yeah, this gets real nice. Yeah, yeah. He went there, you know? Oh, real quick. Uh, the church has hunts the light of the world. I looked that up. Uh, it's a painting where, uh, Christ is knocking on a door that has no, door handle on it so that means it has to be open from the inside so i think it's like a subtle way of like oh these like like you're these people are like it's sort of like the racism in the town of this is how i interpreted this of like the path towards um sort of the anti-racism is the literally like white people have to open up 
the door to be like, all right, like they, they like they're not going to black people aren't going to be able to burst through the door. Like literally they can't open the door. It's going to have to be white people that let them in, which is like a weird, like, but like letting Jesus, but like, isn't it your heart? Like letting Jesus yeah. into your so, heart. Like the white people have to open their heart to, you have to open your heart to Jesus and also to, yeah. And, and in Jesus's message, which is to ev- that everyone should be. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm into it. The yeah. impurity of women thing is funny because yeah, Scout hears the same thing at both churches that women are part of the problem. Strange women. Um, again, as I had often met in my own church, I was confronted with the impurity of women doctrine that seemed to preoccupy all clergymen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just like oh man, all these men are so mad about all these impure women. Yeah, well, how about impure men? I mean, like it's just like well, yeah. it's such a weird. Uh, Even at like second grade, she's like, "What is this?" Nonsense? And like objectifies women through like. Like sin, inherent sinfulness, which is it, which is totally a thing in 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 Christianity's like inherent yeah. sinfulness of women. Eve, yeah. how Eve that can be apple. can lead good men off the path. Stuff yeah, like yeah, they're just temptresses. Uh, and then there's a very they collect they collect money for uh, Tom Robinson's wife. Uh, she hasn't been able to work. Uh, but this is the interesting part. To our amazement, Reverend Sykes emptied the can under the table and raked the coins into his hand. Straightened up and said, "This is not enough. We must have ten dollars." Yeah. It's so like uh, continuing with the call out, and like Alec, shut the doors. Nobody leaves here till yeah, we get ten dollars. That intense of just this this minister being like, "Look, we're getting ten dollars, and I will I will sit here in this awkward silence until it's done." <laughs> Carlo Richardson, I haven't seen you in the, up in this aisle yet. <laughs> You're like calling out guys by name. Yeah, I want all of you with no children to make a sacrifice and give one more dime apiece. Then we'll have it. Slowly, painfully, the $10 was collected. The door was open, and the gust of warm air revived us. Zebo li- lined on Jordan's stormy banks, and church was over. And then it's over. And Reverend Sykes talks to them. Uh, we were especially glad to have you all here. This church has no better friend than your daddy. Uh, and then Scout just has curios- curiosity about Tom Robinson's wife. Because t- Scout still doesn't know anything about the case. Yeah, well, and kind of neither do we. I mean, like, we're, so we're finding out with, which I guess makes sense, Scout's the narrator. We're finding out with Scout, uh, and me, who has not read this book, is also finding out with Scout what's going on with Tom Robinson. Yeah. So uh, uh, did you hear why? So what's what's uh, why were you all taking up collection for Tom Robinson's wife? Which must be kind of weird for, for them to hear, like, your dad didn't tell you? Yeah. yeah. Um, didn't you hear why? Helen's got three little ones, and she can't go out go out to work why can't she take them with her reverend so scott explains that um uh they take their these black people take their like babies out into the field and uh have them between two rows of cotton yeah Um, their backs so yeah so right now there's not enough there's she's she's toxic right now like her her husband is the center of a very controversial case uh, and they don't want it. No one wants anything to do with her, right? Because they like it's the Atticus problem, where it's like if you hire Tom Robinson's wife, it's like a subtle sign of support for Tom Robinson, right? Uh, and it sounds like I think Mister Mister Link D's will take her when it's picking season. When it's like oh, when we need so much work that we'll take anyone, that's when she'll get hired again. Uh, but so with that, yeah, Calpurnia leads them away from. And Calpurnia makes a quick point. It's because of what folks say Tom's done. Folks aren't anxious to, to have anything to do with, with any of his family. Just what did he do, Cal? And here we go. Old Mr. Bob Ewell accused him of raping his girl and had him arrested and put in jail. 
and this is confusing to Scout, uh, Mr. Ewell, does he have anything to do with those Ewells that come every first day of school and then go home? Why, Atticus said they were absolute trash. I never heard Atticus talk about folks the way he talked about the Ewells. He said, Yeah, yeah those are the ones. Well, if everybody in Makeham knows what kind of folks the Ewells are, they'd be glad to hire Alan. What's rape, Cal? It's something you'll have to ask Mr. Finch about. He can explain it better than I can. You all hungry? The Reverend took a long time unwinding this morning. <laughs> He's not usually so tedious. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kind of joking about the minister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's the center of the, the that's an, a short summary of what the case is. The, the, tr- the white trash of the town makes an accusation. And Scout is even like, what? They're white trash. Why would anyone believe? Right, right. <laughs> And here's the thing, right? It's like, well, just because they're white, even though, yeah, just because they're white doesn't mean, it, just because they're white means they're, they're you know, in better standing than, than the black guy, Tom Robinson. And now it comes up the subject of how old uh, Cal is, Calpurnia is. They address the fact that nobody in there can read. That's why they that's why they, didn't have, they don't have prayer books. Even if they could have prayer books, they wouldn't be used because none of them can read. And we find out that Miss Maudie Atkinson's aunt, old Miss Buford, taught Calpurnia to read, which... Signifies her as very old to scout, and if she says she's older than Atticus, and Atticus is fifty, so she is over fifty years old. Uh, I love this. We started Me remembering too. one time trying to figure out how old I was. I can remember back just a few more years than he can, so I'm not much older. When you take off the fact that men can't remember as well as women, and then what's your birthday, Cal? I just have it on Christmas. It's easier to remember that way. I don't have a real birthday. Uh. <laughs> yeah. But Kel, you don't look near as old as Atticus. Colored folks don't show their ages so fast. Maybe because they can't read, Kel. Did you teach? <laughs> because they can't read. <laughs> Kel, did you teach? Did you teach Zebo? Yeah, Mister Jem. There wasn't a school even when he was a boy. I made him learn though. Zebo was Calpurnia's eldest son. I mean, that's. I mean, like, I just. It's so weird. Yeah, we know nothing about this major character. Yeah, if I ever thought about it, I would have known that Calpurnia was of mature years. Zebo had half had half grown children, but then I had never thought about it. So yeah, her son has children older than Jim and Scout. Yeah, this just seems. I mean, it seems a little clunky narratively. Also, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna critique Harper Lee on this one. But this seems a little not such a smooth way of introducing all this stuff about Calpurnia. I guess. Yeah, there definitely is a. Uh, like a, a way to do exposition stuff, and it, w- it wasn't pulled off that smoothly. But she, also, yeah. I mean, she, she could have done one long paragraph where she explained all of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, which uh, that would have been also would have been in- inelegant. Yeah, and I think um, I think part of this is also like sort of like showing like the helps relationship to children of yes. like. It's just like when like children see the teachers, it's like, oh, I assume the teacher lives here when yeah. I leave. But it's like. <laughs> Like, this woman has a full, complicated life, but in the eyes of this child, she's the person that cooks and cleans and is mean to her. Right, right, exactly. Uh, it's She's defined by her job and, and the what she does for them as opposed to her own, like, personhood. And they don't even, I mean, like, it's not even mentioned until right now that she grew up on Finch's Landing. She yes. was, like, probably the child of some slaves on the plantation. Yes, absolutely. Uh, or grandchild, or however, however the timing works, but probably child, right? Yeah. So if she's older than Atticus, and Atticus was born in 1883, she was probably born 1880, maybe. Okay. Which would uh, so either grandchild or like like some a, a child that was born a slave, and then when they were five. Well, slaves were freed in 1864, five, right? Yeah. So if uh, a 63 child was born in 1860. 
Afrida in 1865, and then had a child at 20, 25, then yeah, that she, she would be the daughter of a, of a not like a full life slave. Her grand her grandparents were definitely slaves. Yeah, I mean like all, also she doesn't have a birthday, so it seems like a, even if she wasn't a slave, she was like definitely like a uh, not a full like you know member of the yeah of like society. No, that was yeah. that was a, a very rough time. But also like that's how complicated the Atticus history is. Is that the person that's helping raise his kids is like the daughter of a slave from his the plantation he grew up on. Right, like the same, yeah, the same relationship that exists between them. Yeah, but now she voluntarily works for. Yeah. So it's like such a complicated southern, like it's impossible to avoid. Like you, you run into this, like, because like imagine like, oh, that's embarrassing the slavery legacy of your family. But imagine like, oh, the daughter of the of the slave that my my father owned. Like, right. There's like literally the personal, like the ugliness of slavery is right the there. The legacy he's faced with it every single day. Yeah. And like he's trusted this woman to like raise his children. Of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So. The reading is covered. How they learn to read. Um, so then they get to the into the code switching, as you called it. It was just like that's a very apt description. It's a very like yeah, that's yeah, the it, academic. I think sort it's of the term in vogue right now, where yeah, um, yeah where uh, black people are forced to talk with white people one way, and then are not forced to. Or, well, I guess yeah, forced to talk with white people by one way. society. Yes, or whatever. Yeah. and then uh, have their own uh, when in their own black communities speak a different way. Yeah. And even like the idea of it being code, like a code switching, like just a different way of speaking, is like addressed here because, um, like Jem, Jem and Scott, are like, well, you're talking incorrectly. There. Yes, you it's, know better. It's so th- that scene is is so grating of like you know better. That's not right. And it's stuff like incorrect. That. Yeah, and she goes, well, it's just the way that I mean, if you guys talked that way at home that would be very odd don't you think and they're like yeah and it's like well if i talked this way that we're talking now there it would raise you know it would raise a lot of like how did she put it uh see it'd be out of place they think i was putting on airs to beat moses yep so it comes across as elitism um uh it's not necessary to tell you all to, to tell all you know, it's not ladylike. In the second place, folks don't like to have somebody around knowing more than they do. And aggra- just a little bit of sexism sprinkled on top. <laughs> it aggravates them. You're not going to change any of them by talking right. They've got to learn, want to learn themselves. And when they don't want to learn, there's nothing you can do but keep your mouth shut or talk their language. And then I think Scout says, Cal, can I come see you sometimes? And then she looked down at me, see me, honey. You see me every day. <laughs> <laughs> Out to your house, I said. Sometimes after work, Atticus can get me. Anytime you want to, she said, we'd have, we'd be glad to have you. So she's like, yeah, come over. She's opening up. So I mean, like in in another different way, she's opening up her uh, outside life to these people. Yeah. I, I think, um, and there's, there's no indicate, like literally both a flaw and sort of a design of the book. It's that there's so little information about Cal's life. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, there is genuine attachment to these children, I believe. Uh, and I definitely a genuine admiration for Atticus Finch, especially what he's doing for her church. Yeah, also that's one of the other other um seems like the purpose of this scene is to show Atticus is standing with these real human beings who are genuinely happy with, with what he's doing. So like it's not just like an abstract like champion of of values. It's like a no the, the, what he's doing is affecting these people specifically. He's very he's he's doing a good thing for this community. Yes. And then and on a grim note just after leaving Black Church, 
who is waiting on their doorstep. Ooh. But Aunt Alexandra. She's not going to like the black church thing. I didn't even think about that. I was like, oh, armored, upright, uncompromising Aunt Alexandra was sitting in a rocking chair exactly as if she had sat there every day of her life. Oh, she's going to be a little bit upset. Yes, there's definitely going to be. I would. I don't remember, but I think there's going to be some snarky comments. I bet. I mean, if if I know Aunt Alexandra at all, and I, I think I do. Her 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 niece and nephew going to black church. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I think the way that her children were talking to Scout, yeah, I think that she has some beliefs like that uh, aren't going to jive. Yes. But, yeah, those are the two. So we got two more lessons in these chapters. One about giving up on morphine is the bravest thing you can do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's about fighting a battle even though you know you're not going to win. Most of the time you don't win. Yada, yada, yada. So I guess it's an allegory. It's going to be used as an allegory for the fight to come in the courtroom. Yes. That's what it is. It's like, hey, I'm not going to win this, but it is my duty and my conscience that requires me to perform these actions. We got to fight. We got to fight. And then there's a little thing about what's going on in the black community in uh, Maycomb. We get almost none of it until uh, uh, Calpurnia takes us to a black church. Right. So, yeah. Uh I thought both these chapters were very funny. Um, yeah. But I, I am getting a little antsy to get to this court case. I know. She's taking her sweet time. Yes. But, yeah, I mean, that this has been the big thing about this book that I didn't never realized how, how funny Scout is. Like Exactly. Yeah. So good. Incisive and witty and... Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, like the, uh, the, the, the use of her point of view with the... With the like good vocabulary of the of Harper Lee, but with Scout's point of view, it's just a funny yeah. combination. Yeah, just and little stuff like just like so much and like very wholesome stuff about just like having an older brother humor and like <laughs> right, yeah, and like, like being a Tom girl humor and being in love as a child humor, like just family type stuff, funny yeah. family type stuff. Yeah, good stuff. No, it's uh that that's been uh, they've they've really taken their time to set the scene, and they, I mean that was probably the last piece i don't remember exactly when the when the they start going to court but like we've now met the black community in make uh we've gotten more details about the robinsons we now know what the crime is who the, who's accusing who uh we know atticus's highest principle uh and we now know that calpurnia's like is does like these children and is proud of them and that Mr. Finch is, or Atticus is a hero to these people. Yeah. We're seeing Atticus through the eyes of this community. And it's so funny where it's like his his own community is ripping on him. <laughs> yeah. And then they go to, and like, this is a god. Right. Okay. Yeah. The DuBose, the DuBose thing and then balance with this, even though they're not really like, you know, they're not naturally they're, paired they're not, chapters. Yeah, they're not set they're up in like, different books. Like mirrors. But, but yeah, like this is where they see her, their father treated with so much respect. Yeah. And, they don't even. They don't even really get. No, they don't. Really don't even know why. I was kind of kind of interesting that they don't really know about the trial very much at all. They're yes, about they know slowly. nothing about the trial. Like it hasn't been explained to them. Like not yeah. even a little bit of like, Atticus being like, we're gonna try and argue that the evidence and testimony they're presenting is is uh, is weak at best. They like, don't know anything? Yeah, nothing. And that's so weird for him to do because they're gonna get roasted. Like they've been verbally assaulted like this whole. Mo- like months going into this thing, yeah. To not give them a little, like here's a few things you can say, 
like, but just like, hey, just hold your head up high, bud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't have enough information. I'm curious as to how this is going to go when they start really seeing it. I guess like this, this allows the scout to discover it with the, you know, with the, the core, you know, like she's yeah. going to discover it later, kind of like in a yeah, more natural, progressive. Slowly. Yeah. It also makes me eager for like little bits of information. Talk about it, taking your time. Uh, yeah. And I guess there's something we said about like, yeah, if you're funny enough, you can really take your time setting the stage. This is really a yarn. Yeah. It's like, hey, sit back and pour some iced tea. I got I got a tale to tell. Let me tell you about a little town called Maycomb. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I just read an interesting article because uh, the Game of Thrones just ended. Um and this guy wrote an interesting article about uh, psychological storytelling versus uh, sociological storytelling, uh, where he compared, um, like, what Hollywood does now is very psychological. Like, either hero or anti-hero, it's like, this guy is doing these things for these internal past reasons. Mm-hmm. And nothing is, is put on, like, they're doing these things for the way society is set up. They have to make these decisions. They're not good or bad, but these are the pressures and the responsibilities they have. Like... Talked about with uh, in the beginning of Game of Thrones, no spoilers, but like everyone was like, I have this job and now I act a little differently and stuff like that. Yeah. Or like shows like The Wire, they talked about it was all seasons were about systems, like how the police system is not working. There's quota pressure, stuff like that. Uh, and this feels like they're doing as much as they can to set up this is a sociological novel of like, look at how this town is built. And this is why everyone has to do what they right, do. Right, right, right. It's, it's about the communities, yeah. So you don't see any villains. You just see people trapped in a in a terrible system. Because, um, like, I mean, Atticus goes out of way that there's no villains. These are our neighbors. Uh, we still love them. They just have the usual disease. And it's like, it's this. how how would they act any different with this history? Uh, and then also with this court case. Like, right. Uh, and that is... It's a harder to do, and it's not as like it would be cool to see Atticus as the the, the smart mouth guy going to the bar and saying something, some smart one liner to a hick or something like that. <laughs> but we just see a man who's like, this is a I'm in the middle of a very complex history. Right, He's I'm trying to it. navigate fairly and with love in my heart for everyone involved. Uh, and it's infuriating. It's it's how slow Atticus moves and doesn't use his, like he literally like it's kind of same thing where it's like he never shoots his gun where like. He never uses his, you never see him use his argument. Yeah, point it and shoot it. Yeah, dude. I want to see you really rip up Mrs. Dubois with all your fancy words. Yeah, you got the, you have the weapon. Yeah. Do it. So, yeah, th- this is what, because, like, Gatsby and uh, Catcher in the Rye is extremely a psychological novel um, of, like, this is, this boy is, has internal reasons for doing all these actions. Yeah, it's all we have. His upper class, like, lifestyle kind of freedom from, I mean, there was the pressures to be this way or that way, but it was, like, his decisions were just kind of in all internal. And then Gatsby was, like, it was a metaphor for all of America, but, like, each character was, it was more psychological than their, the act- they had no jobs, really. Yeah, they weren't <laughs> in any societal positions. They were just existing in, in, in relation to each other, yeah. So, but this is like Atticus is a lawyer who takes his job seriously. So he is forced to do like he believes he has to do this well. Uh, his neighbors are people trapped, uh, probably not critically thinking enough in a long history, complex history of white supremacy. Uh, I, Tom Robinson is trapped in the the horrible justice system. Like, uh, and then Scout is just like the innocent person, like observing all of this, trying to understand all the systems in place. But now we're in a place to know, oh, that's the character who did that funny thing in the first chapter, and then they're going to do something very cruel, and that, like, it's just circumstances change and these people change, and it's all about this town, 
reacting to the pressures internal and external. So yeah, hopefully, yeah, what you're saying is hopefully this all this stuff is going to build into something a little more. Yeah. Than these kind of hokey, uh, fun little yarns. Yeah. Just it's just yarn city right now. <laughs> but yeah, it'll get a little bit of a spicy. <laughs> a spicier. I think book two it seems like it's going to be a little bit more focused on on this case because it's we're already it's it's being talked about in this first chapter of book two. Yeah. And it's being built up to. Yeah. Um. It's well. All right. Hey, thank you for listening. Uh, that was chapters eleven and twelve. We'll see you for chapter thirteen and fourteen. And we're getting into book two and the trial. Can't wait to get into it. Huh? My name is Terrence Hartnett. You can follow me on Instagram at ha Hartnett. My name is Kevin Lobkovich. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Kevin Lobkovich. Give us a good review of the podcast on iTunes. Tell a friend about it and uh, email us at okgatsbypod at gmail.com. Yeah, and we got a we got an Instagram the same. Hey!